journey into the Bible and explore its hidden text and rich wisdom. Join Adol Kazilski Mondays at 1 p.m. for the trip of a lifetime. Shavua Tov, Shavua Tov, and welcome to 101.9 High FM. I'm Adel Kozilski, and I'm going to be your host. We're learning Torah together, as we do every Monday at 1, and as we always do, we are following the Bible. We are journeying into the Bible. I'm pretty proud of ourselves. I don't know how you feel about it, um, but we started on the book of Genesis, in the, in the first chapter of Genesis and the Pasha of Genesis. And we have spent a lot of time together. And last week we started the Pasha of Mikate, which is chapter 41 of the book of Genesis. That means we've gone through 40 chapters so far. And uh, we are coming soon close to the end of the entire book of Genesis. We have three parashiyot that uh, we still need to get through. We're in Mikates, we've still got Vayigash and Vayechi, um, which will be, we'll finish up in chapter 49. So we've got a couple of chapters to go. It's still going to take us time. There are times we do quite a few verses. There are times we'll sit on one verse. So we're in the middle of the story of Joseph. And right now, where we're at is that we are now going to see the zenith of Joseph's career. He's had quite an awful upbringing. He's been hated by his brothers, despised by them so badly that uh, the brothers sold him. Um, he's landed up. He landed up being sold four times. He's been incarcerated in jail. Um, he has really had a terrible, terrible upbringing. You wouldn't blame him today in 2022 if he had a lot of psychological hang-up and a lot of trauma that you'd have to deal with. And one of the most inspirational things about Joseph is to see how he overcomes adversity. Um, I'd love to know your comments on how you feel about overcoming adversity. Is it something difficult that you find? Do you feel that the majority of people are just complacent and want to blame their trauma, their bad upbringings, their parents, their lifestyle, on how they behave today? Or do you find that you actually associate yourself or you identify yourself with a person like Joseph, who is a person who actually overcomes his uh, his difficulties, his challenges? He, you can see that he makes the best in every, every situation. Um, I certainly find I get a lot of inspiration out of Joseph, and perhaps one of the greatest is what he will say later to his brothers when his brothers uh, come and they bow before him. You'd think, well, this is an opportune time. The universe is giving Joseph the opportunity now to do unto his brothers what his brothers did unto him. And Joseph goes and says, this is not your fault. I was sent. And from there, we understand that Joseph saw his entire life as being guided by divine providence. And being guided by divine providence means that wherever you are in life, whatever upbringing you've had, whatever circumstance you face, whatever challenge is before you, you are at the right place at the right time. And you are supposed to be where you're supposed to be because there is lessons to learn in every experience. How do you feel about that? I'd love you to let me know. 34519 is our SMS line. 061-895-1019 is our telegram number. 
while you're pondering that, we will continue our learning. So those who are at home and are listening up, if you do have a Chumash, a Bible in front of you, we are looking at chapter 41 and we are looking at verse 37. Last week we closed off with the fact that um, Joseph says to it gives an interpretation to Pharaoh on the dreams. And at the end, he says that, and I actually am going to go to verse 33, just to, to refresh ourselves. He says, Pharaoh should seek out a man who has insight and wisdom. He should put him in charge of the land of Egypt. This is what Paro should do. He should appoint officials over the land. And he should prepare the land of Egypt during the seven years of surplus. Bar Tachat Yat Paro, Ochel Ba'arim Veshamaro. They should gather in all the food during these good years that are coming, and they should store them up, should store up the grain under the hands of Paro. Vahayaha Ochel the Picadon, La Eretz, La Sheva, Shne Harab, Asheti Yena, Be'eretz Mitzrayim. And this food will be held in reserve for the uh, years, seven years of famine that will be in the land of Egypt, and that will mean then that the land will not be cut off from the famine. Now, this was the um, suggestion of uh, Yosef to Pharaoh in interpreting his dreams of the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine. And if you really look carefully at, I think it's verse 34, he says, Vechimesh et Eretz Mitzrayim. Okay, Chimesh um, means that uh, one should prepare the land of Egypt. But Chimesh, our rabbis go and say, is the same as the word Chamesh, which means a fifth. And so what his real advice was that they should take a fifth of all grain that grew during the years of abundance and put that grain away in anticipation of the famine. And uh, he also suggested that they would have underground vaults under the direct authority of Pharaoh himself. And uh, we are also told in the Midrash that he suggested that all grain that was going to be stored should be carefully inspected to make sure there was no mildew or insects uh, that would damage it. And believe it or not, um, even in those days, they threw, um, they threw preservatives to, uh, to maintain the grain because they lived in a very damp um, climate. In, the, in, in the, the Nile Valley, the climate was very, very damp. And so even though you could be saving everything, it could very well mean that when the years of famine came around, that was not something that they didn't want to have see, see that all their storage was messed up. We know that the, the Egyptians per se, as a people, were very, very much um, in touch of embalming people 
and and doing all of that. So I'm sure that they were very um, very clued up on how you could go and preserve the food. So this was the suggestion of um, Yosef to Pharaoh on how to handle the impending disaster that he had seen through the dreams. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Right, we're looking into verse 37 of chapter 41. So he dispenses his advice, Yosef, and chapter uh, verse 37 reads as follows. The whole thing pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. So Pharaoh turns to his servants, to his court, and he says, Can another man like this be found who has the Spirit of God upon him? So, as we said before last week, that the Egyptian magicians or the astrologers never thought of interpreting Paroi's dream in terms of years of famine and abundance. Why? They knew that such matters were determined round about Pesach, because the world is judged regarding grain at that time. And therefore, the dream could not be, begin to come true until the 15th of Nisan, which if you really want to know the Gregorian date, it was the 3rd of April, 1531, before the Common Era. And as we learned, Pharaoh's dream occurred in the September, in the Tishrei, in the, on the Rosh Hashanah, as mentioned earlier. So they did not see a correlation that Pharaoh was dreaming in the September and that this would happen the following April. Yosef, however, did not pay attention to this because he knew that in truth, um, everything is judged on Rosh Hashanah, including the amount of grain. Yes, the decree is not announced on high until Pesach, but that is why he says to Pharaoh, if you go back to verse 25, God has shown Pharaoh what he is going to do which means although the dream took place in Tishrei, took place in the September before, God was showing Paro that what would happen six months later in Nisan, at which time the decree of famine would be announced on high. Now the Midrash goes on to tell us that in fact, um, there, were, there, were, there, there was a disparity as to um, the amount of time that Egypt was going to suffer. It seems here that Egypt would go through a 14-year cycle Okay, of seven good years and seven bad years. But there's other opinions that there was going to be 14 years of famine. Others said there was going to be 28. Others say 42. And all of those were known to Yosef, but Yosef, we are told, prayed that there should be no more than seven years of famine and that the rest was reserved for a time foreseen later in history by the prophet Yechezkel. If you want to go look it up, Yechezkel Chapter 29, verse 9, talks about famine that comes to Egypt much later in history. And if there was to have a protracted famine, that's when it was going to happen. They would only have seven years of famine right now. Now, you can ask the question, why was God bringing a famine anyway to 
to, to Egypt? What was the reason for him bringing the famine? Well, as always, we say that God always brings a cure before the disease. What was the cure before the disease? We know, um, and we've learned this way back in our beginning chapters of Genesis. In fact, in chapter 15, verse 14, God decrees and tells Abraham, our forefather, that the Jewish people, that the land of Israel, that the people of Israel would be enslaved in Egypt. And he promises him there that after a, a, a period of slavery, which was supposed to um, be for 400 years, we know factually it was 210 years because the slavery started from the time Yosef came down to Egypt, that after leaving Egypt, and we've just celebrated um, Pesach, which celebrates us leaving Egypt, it says there afterwards they will leave with great wealth. God promised material wealth to the Jews when they would leave slavery. But at this point in time, when Joseph arrived in Egypt, Egypt was in fact a very poor country. And the wealth that Israel would be able to take, if they had to have left at that point in time, was very small indeed. So what divine providence decreed was that there would be a severe famine all over the world, Everyone would land up coming to Egypt to buy grain. And as a result, Egypt would become an extremely wealthy nation. Only then would Jacob and his sons come to Egypt to fulfill Abraham's decree. And therefore, they will go out with a tremendous amount of wealth. And that is what in fact happens. Joseph is the catalyst to all of this. And as we've always spoken, when we are learning um, Chumash and learning any part of Torah, there are layers and layers of many things happening at the same time. There's the practicality, so to speak, on the ground, but there's divine providence that is happening. And many other things are happening at the same time. And then going back to the question that I posed at the beginning of the show, is that we either can get stuck in seeing ourselves in not nice places, in difficult circumstances, in challenges that we don't want, and berate and moan and be angry and frustrated and all of those not nice things. Or we can understand always that God sent us, that we are where we are and where we are supposed to be, and that we need not only to accept it, but then ask the question, what do I have to learn? What can I do in the situation that I find myself now? Because God does have a plan. So whilst this dream was unfolding and, and Joseph was doing what he was doing and everything worked out that way, there was a much greater picture that there was a tremendous amount of wealth that God had promised Abraham and God had to facilitate that because at that point in time, Egypt was a very poor country. It also teaches us that whatever the Israelites took from Egypt was justified because it was none other than Joseph who was responsible for accumulating all the wealth in Egypt. Because if it wasn't for him, none of the Egyptians would have known what to do. And you know what would have happened? They just all would have simply died from the starvation. Now, we know that Pharaoh had summoned Joseph only to interpret his dream. 
So why did Joseph advise him to appoint a man to gather in all the grain? He he wasn't he wasn't summoned as the king's advisor. So what caused him to speak up beyond the interpretation of the dream? Surely that was putting him in a precarious position, like you know stepping beyond his boundaries. So the answer is that Joseph's advice was part of the interpretation of the dream. Why? Because Pharaoh had seen seven bad cows swallowing the seven fat cows. And that was a sign that the people would, in fact, survive during the seven lean years by gathering in the wheat during the seven fat years. Also, Pharaoh had uh, dreamt of the seven ears of corn that were growing on a single stalk. And this was a sign that all the grain would be sold by a single individual. Now, can you imagine if they tried to do a, um, uh, uh, what's the name? They wanted to try and appoint people, a way to the city where everyone wants to be a leader. So that is why Joseph stepped beyond his, his, his practical uh, interpretation in giving advice on how to handle what it is that he was interpreting. There's also something very interesting in his interpretation. There's a, an apparent difficulty because when Pharaoh describes his dream, when Pharaoh dreams the dream, he first sees the fat cows and then the thin cows. And now in his interpretation, when Yosef speaks about it, if you go look at verse 27, you will see that he first mentions the thin cows, the lean years, and then he only mentions the fat years, which is evident of a reversal of order. So why is Yosef putting emphasis on the lean years and then the fat years, when in fact it's the fat years first, then the lean years? So we all know that Egypt was irrigated by the Nile and it was a very fertile land. It always had a good food supply. And so there, there would never have been anything unusual about the, uh, when there was the use of abundance and, and surplus. Okay, like nobody would have actually noticed that there was something different. What was unusual was the prediction of famine. Nobody could wrap their mind around the fact that there was going to be a famine. And um, basically what Yosef was trying to get Pharaoh to pay attention to was that there, there will be a time when there will be shortage. It's kind of like going and telling the United States of America, do you know there will be a time when you will not be the superpower? I mean, it looks like maybe that's going to happen. But, you know, in the minds of everybody, America's a superpower. There's like no question like that that's, that's the abundant mentality that everybody has. To go and entertain something that is not of normal course is hard. And so Yosef in, interprets the dreams in this way that he brings Pharaoh's attention first to that which is not going to be so that he can actually wake him up to, to, to that reality. Also, in the case of Pharaoh, the dream combined good and evil, and therefore Yosef said to him, don't think that you are wicked just because you will give, be given a good dream, because both dreams, the good and the bad, are actually one, which means that Pharaoh concentrate on the fact that the main thing is that divine providence is showing you there will be seven years of famine. You were shown the seven fat cows and the seven fat ears to inform you that although you 
will have seven years of plenty. The famine will be so severe that none of the surplus will remain. So that really encapsulates a little bit more, explains a little bit more the reason why and what Yosef gave in his interpretation. And the Midrash tells us something very interesting about that. When he finished, okay, um, when he finished all of that, he said to, Paro said to Yosef, and how am I going to know that you're speaking the truth? How do I know that you're not hogwashing me? So Yosef replied, says the Midrash, I'll give you a sign. At this moment, your wife is going into labor, giving birth to your firstborn. This child will be a boy, but shortly after he is born, he unfortunately will die. And Joseph had hardly finished speaking when a messenger came in and he announced that Pharaoh's wife had given birth to a son, but that the child had died soon afterwards. And so Yosef's words were verified before everybody and everybody, and especially Paroi, understood now that they were dealing with a very clever man. Vayome Paro el Yosef, we're now looking at verse 39. Vayome Paro el Yosef, acharei hoidia elokim otcha et kol zot. He, he, Paro says to Yosef, after God has informed you about all of this, like I recognize that now you must have some type of godly power that was bestowed upon you, Yosef, that you were able to interpret the way you interpreted. There is no one with such insight and with such wisdom like you. You are now going to be in charge. You're going to be over my house. And by your word shall my people be sustained. It will only be that my throne, but only by my throne will I outrank you. So basically what Pharaoh was saying that if God told you all of this and you, you've got such insight and wisdom, then you're the person who I'm going to put in charge of my country and all of my people are going to obey your orders and you, Yosef, are going to have, is going, you're going to have the same authority as I, except that I will be called king. Unbelievable. Now, as soon as Paroi said that, his astrologers came to Paro on the side and they and they sought an audience with Paro and they said to Paro, you know, we've investigated Yosef's background. He's a slave. He was sold for 20 pieces of silver. And now you're making him our king? How can you possibly do such a thing? To which Paro replied, I've observed him carefully. He has a royal bearing. And something tells me that he must have been kidnapped from an aristocratic family and sold as a slave. To which the astrologers replied, but is he educated? For him to be elevated to such a position, it is a known rule in Egypt, you need to know 
the 70 languages of the world. Seven O, the 70 languages of the world. Now, Paro knew 69 of them. Okay, what happened? God was watching over Yosef. Yosef for sure did not know 70 languages. So what God did was that he sent the angel Gabriel, Gabriel, to teach in the 70 languages. Now, can you just imagine trying to learn 70 languages? I mean, I think all of us struggle if we try to learn one new language. And I said that Yosef found it very difficult to remember everything. So we are told um, that God added the letter Hey from his great name. We know how God's name, um, Yud, Hey, Vav, Hey. He took the one Hey and he added it to Yosef. He called him Yehosef, Yud, Hey, Vav, Samach, Hey, Yehosef. And with that additional power, um, the angel Gabriel was able to teach Yosef all 70 languages in a single night. It rattled Pharaoh, what the astrologers had said. And so what happens is that the next morning, Pharaoh summons Yosef for a private audience to test his knowledge. So don't go away. You're going to have to find out what's going to happen next. This is 101.9 High FM. High FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Okay, so Joseph's going to be put to the test now. So he gets summoned. Now, we're told that um, there were 70 steps to ascend to Pharaoh's throne. 70, 70. The commoners would land up on steps one, two, and three. And the only way you could ascend is if you showed your intelligence and your ability to communicate in the different languages. So Pharaoh summons Yosef for a private audience to test his knowledge. And whatever language Pharaoh spoke to Yosef, Yosef was able to reply fluently. Sorry, there were 70 pagan languages at that time. So after Pharaoh had gone through all 70 pagan languages, guess what? Yosef was on the top rung and he was standing right next to Pharaoh. Then the whole thing flips. Yosef begins to speak to him in Hebrew and Pharaoh does not understand a word. He gets very frightened and he starts begging Yosef to teach him this new language. Yosef tries, but as much as he tries, Pharaoh has not got the ability to understand it or grasp it. And realizing what was happening, Pharaoh, we are told in the Midrash, gets down on his knees and he begs Yosef not to reveal his ignorance to anyone. Because if anyone found out that Yosef knew a language of which Pharaoh was ignorant, they would impeach Pharaoh and crown Yosef in his place. He begs Yosef to swear not to reveal this, and Yosef acquiesces. Now, one of the other things is, is that the Egyptian constitution specified that a slave could not be placed in a position of high authority. And here now comes along Pharaoh, realizing that the only one who can save his country was Yosef, 
and, and he tries to find a means to give such authority to Yosef. And this is why he says in verse 38, can another man like Yosef be found anywhere? For he is a man imbued with God's spirit. Meaning anywhere in the world can you find a better qualified man? So what he was really saying to, I guess, his legislative uh, council was that, of course, we must abide by our constitution. Um, I bet that if you traveled the entire world, you wouldn't find a man like this. And so while we know that that in our constitution says this, and perhaps the guys who made the constitution didn't have in mind a man such as Joseph, you know, had they known that this was a possibility, they wouldn't have stuck that law in. And so he, he repeals it. He basically goes and says that Yosef is, even though he comes from a slave, he is he is streets ahead, miles ahead of everything else. Um, and and that was that was the entire proof of how Yosef landed up standing right next to the throne of of uh, what's the name of Pharaoh. Vayome Paro el Yosef. Paro says to Yosef. Behold, I have put you before, or I have placed you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Paro takes the ring off his hand. He gives it to Joseph's hands. He dresses him in the finest linen garments. Yasim Rivid Hazahav Atsavaro, and he also puts a gold chain on his neck. So by taking off his ring and giving it to Yosef, Paroi invests him with authority as viceroy over Egypt. Why linen robes? Because linen was the cloth that was worn by the aristocracy. Okay, and, and from sorcery and from all sorts of other things that understood that an outfit of pure linen protects a person from evil eye. So um, we know that in Egypt, you know, it says that the 10 measures of sorcery were given to the world. Nine of them were taken by Egypt. So Pharaoh gave Yosef pure linen robes in order to protect him from the black magic. Because even the Egyptians' own sorcerers and wizards, they became obviously, understandably, very jealous of Yosef, and they wanted to harm him with their magic powers. So wearing the white linen robes, Yosef was able to stand before him and not be able to harm him. And he had Yosef ride in the second royal chariot. And they, they announced before him, Avreich. Yosef was placed um, in charge of the entire Egypt. What is this Mirkevet HaMishnah, the second chariot? Well, this was a chariot that usually rode alongside the king without a passenger. Other opinions say that this expression Mirkevet Mishneh denotes the chariot of the viceroy. So it was a special carriage designated for anybody who was second to the king. Why did they call out Avreich? What does Avrech mean? Well, there are a number of opinions. Some say it comes from the two words Av. Av means father. Rach in Amaraic or Recha in Aramaic means a king or an aristocrat. So therefore, what they were saying when they said Avrech, they were shouting out, here's the king's master, meaning that Yosef was the master appointed by the king. 
Others go and say Avrech comes from the word Av, father, and Rach, which means tender, which means that they would have been saying the tender master, which indicated that uh, Yosef was tender in years, but he was a master of all wisdom. Because remember, he was only 30 years old at the time that he was appointed viceroy over all of Egypt. A third opinion goes and says that Avrech comes from the word Berech, which means knee. So the announcement really is Avrech, which means kneel down, i.e., that was an indication that Yosef was now ruler over Egypt and everyone he had to bend his knee and kneel down before him. By Yomir Paro el Yosef, Paro says to Yosef, Ani Paroi, I am Pharaoh, Ubiladecha lo Yarim Ishit Yado, the Etraglo Bechol Eretz Mitzrayim. Without you, no man will lift his hand or foot in the whole land of Egypt. So, what was Pharaoh saying? He's saying, I'm Pharaoh. All authority is in my hand, but I decree now that without your authorization, no man could lift his hand to take a weapon or his foot to mount a horse. Now, what does that mean? Well, in the day, in those days in Egypt, no, it's an interesting thing. The Midrash tells us no one could ride a horse without a license from the mayor. Without such a license, the only thing you could ride was a donkey. And since horses were plentiful in Egypt, without such a law, there would be no distinction between the aristocracy and the commoners. So therefore, only the aristocrats were licensed to ride horses, while the plebs still rode their donkeys. So he was saying, this is under your thing now. Um, no one is going to ride a horse without your authority. Also the same thing with linen garments, as we said, because flax was, was, was plentiful in Egypt. And linen was common, but its, its use was restricted by law to the aristocracy. So when Pharaoh gave the order for Yosef to be led in royal procession, uh, procession the Midrash tells us incredible stuff. It says 3,000 men marched before him, playing all sorts of instruments and singing. He was flanked by 5,000 troops with swords barred and carrying all sorts of weapons. And 20,000 aristocrats in all their finery marched behind Yosef. And the king's own retainers walked along Yosef, carrying incense, perfume, and fragrant flowers. Can you imagine? One day you're in the prison, unshaven, been in the dungeon for 12 years, and the next day, there is this incredible royal procession. And all along the routes, of course, women stood on roofs and at windows to catch a glimpse because we all know Yosef was famous for his good looks. It says his face was radiant. It was shining like the full moon. And there were criers, 20 criers that marched through the city with him saying, this is the man whom the king desires to make his assistant. He is now head of government and whoever disobeys him and refuses to bow down to him shall be put to death um, as a traitor. And wherever Yosef paraded, people prostrated themselves to the ground, kissing his footsteps. And this was how he paraded through the entire Egyptian capital. This is 101.9 Chai FM. Chai FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. One more point before we take leave of each other is why was Yosef so, um, why did he rise so high? We're told he was worthy of all of this because he did not sin with Mrs. Potiphar. It says because his mouth had refused to kiss her, Nashak, 
Pharaoh goes and says that by your mouth shall the people be sustained. He uses the word yishak. So there's a play on the fact that because Yosef refused to kiss Mrs. Mrs. Potiphar, so by his mouth the people will be sustained. Because he didn't place his neck, neck next to her, he was given a golden chain for his neck. Because he didn't touch her with his hand, God placed, I mean, Pharaoh placed his ring upon his hand. And because he didn't let his body touch her, a fine linen robe was placed on his body. So all Joseph's greatness was a direct result of refraining from sin. And just in finality, the Midrash really waxes eloquent here. It says, after the parade was over, Pharaoh brought Yosef to his palace, showed him all his treasurers. He gave Yosef gifts of fields and estates, as well as 3,100 weights of gold and 3,100 weights of silver, which is approximately $2 billion worth. He also gave him many precious stones and gifts. And the next day, the king announced that everyone must bring gifts to Yosef, each one according to his ability. Huge chests were placed in the square of each city into which each person would place his gift, and Yosef thus amassed huge sums of gold, silver, and precious stones, and they were all placed in his vault. Temporarily, Pharaoh also gave Yosef a hundred servants, and later on, Yosef was able to buy himself a large number of personal slaves. He built himself a large palace that took three years to complete. He made a throne for himself. It was made of gold encrusted with diamonds and pearls, and the theme of the throne was a map of Egypt showing how the Nile irrigated the entire land. And besides all of that, well, when you get very wealthy, then, you know, you put your life in danger. He had a personal bodyguard consisting of 40,600 troops, and that was in addition to the armies of Egypt that were under his command. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. How is that? Rags to riches story in unbelievable, in an unbelievable way. Um, all of it set out in divine providence that this had much greater meaning, not only for what was happening in Egypt, but for the Jewish people as a whole. Hope you enjoyed the lesson. Looking forward to being back here again, same time, same place, um, and continuing this incredible story. In the meantime, Shavuot Tov. Have a wonderful week ahead.